We continue in our series on 2 Timothy 3, 16, and I want to read first of all this morning from the book of Job, from the book of Job. So if you turn to Job chapter 38, I would just like to remind you of verses 1 through 11. Job chapter 38, 1 through 11. Please listen carefully to the holy word of God. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut in the sea with doors? when it burst out from the womb. When I made clouds its garments, in thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it and set bars indoors, and said, thus far shall you come and no further, and here shall your Proud ways be stayed. Now, if you would, once again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 10 through 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the secret writings, sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, sanctify our hearts through thy word. Come into our hearts and direct us so that our lives comply by thy spirit to what thy spirit has written. May we walk, may we live in the truth of thy word. In Christ's name, amen. Because the Bible says so, is that sufficient for you? Because the Bible says so, is that sufficient for you? Why is it that the God of the Bible is the one true God and that Jesus Christ is the only person through whom humanity can be saved? Because the Bible says so. Why is it that your language should be reverent? Should be reverent towards God, honoring the holiness of God's name. Why should our language edify each other in covenant bond, whether in building each other up or in admonishing each other when needed? Because the Bible says so. Why is it that we assemble this day to worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as our true God brings sinners to himself through the death and resurrection of his Son? Because the Bible says so. Why is it that we respect authority, whether it be our parents or those who rule over us in government? Because the Bible says so. Why is it that we respect the property of others, honor the marriage covenant, Believe our fellow humans are image bearers of our sovereign creator. Why is it that we speak the truth in righteousness? Why is it that we are content with what we have? Because the Bible says so. 
There are a number of things that come to mind from the questions that I have just placed before you. First of all, if you were perceptive in listening intently to what I was presenting to you this morning, then most likely you understood that the context of each of those comments was in the context of the moral law found in the Ten Commandments. Secondly, that we asked each question as a positive, as a positive religious question. It's a positive that we acknowledge the true creator. It is positive that we worship the God of the Bible, that we honor his name, assemble here to worship him, respect authority, and we can go on and on. These things are good with respect to our God, loving our God, and with respect to loving our neighbor as the scripture understands those two summary commandments of Christ. Thirdly, these questions place you in the midst of the marketplace as you encounter a hostile world around you. The issue behind the questions are the issues that all of us face each and every day. For example, is the triune God of the Bible the only true God. Why can't we just follow the writers of the Simpsons who say that the importance of religion is for humanity to be at peace with each other and love each other? This is probably one of the most frequent, powerful, and seductive teachings by Satan that shapes the world today. This is the comment that comes from pietistic humanism at its best. But it is a vain imagination and fantasy by a humanity who knows no peace and by a humanity that knows no love. As you look out presently upon the American landscape, do you see the fruits of all the music from the 60s? about how to love one another in that pagan culture? Maybe I'm missing it. I don't see it at all. Millions in America, millions throughout the world 
pay millions of dollars to attend and watch violence on the screen. We live, as one pundit said, we live in a culture of violence. Fourthly, in terms of the questions that I opened the message with, and finally, the questions that I asked in such a positive manner brings a positive answer to each question. As we understand it as believers, we respond, we live the way we do in our lives by the power of the Spirit of God because the Bible says so. It's that simple. You act the way you do. You live the way you do. You say the things you say. You think the things you think because the word of the Lord is your delight. It is a light unto your path. It is a light under your daily walk. This is how the Bible says you are to act, live, speak, and think. But here is a challenging question I want to ask you further this morning. Here is the question as we come face to face with a hostile world that is all around us as true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is the Bible, ask yourself this morning, is the Bible truly sufficient for you? Are you personally, personally, look into your heart, Are you personally satisfied with the authority of the Word of God? If you have problems and doubts and hard questions about the authority of the Bible in your life, then I'm hopeful that you will continue to turn in and hopefully, by God's grace, be edified by what Paul is saying in the Word of God in this series. Let me begin with this challenging question to you. Do you believe that the appeal to the Scripture is a cop-out? Is a cop-out? Is the appeal to Scripture something Christians hide behind because they cannot give honest answers to very difficult questions that they are challenged with in the marketplace. Let me give a few examples to you. 
Can the Christian really prove that matter, the material universe that you see, that you look at, that matter is not eternal? Can the Christian actually prove that matter is not eternal and thus eliminate the necessity of God. Can the Christian really believe that God is good when there is so much suffering in the world? People are starving. People are literally killing each other. People and dictators and governments exploit and pillage their their people. Can we really answer some of these very difficult questions? Or do we just hide behind the Bible as a shield which deflects those tough questions? And thus be perceived in the marketplace that the Bible becomes a cop-out for any of the tough questions. If the Bible is not sufficient for you going a different direction in terms of the challenge here this morning, maybe you can consult something else as an authority. If the Bible isn't sufficient for you, maybe you can consult another authority. The history of Roman Catholicism has done so. It has not seen the sufficiency of Scripture. Instead, the history of Roman Catholicism also asserts that the traditions of men have an equal authority with the scriptures. And those traditions expressed in creeds, pronouncements by the Pope, maybe such are such things that can be a penetrating appeal to authority for answering the tough questions. What does the Pope, what does the church say in terms of answering the tough question that we address? Now before we sit here and say that's Roman Catholicism, Let's ask ourselves, do we have our own Protestant gurus? That we look to for all our answers that we have and elevate them in terms of our own hearts to almost a status that is equal to what the Roman Catholic Church does with the Pope.
Well, <laughs> if I'm not going to trust other human authorities to help me along, maybe what I can trust is my own personal experience. After all, each of us owns our own personal experience. Does that personal experience, as it does in the culture all around us, does that resonate as an absolute authority? It does in the non-Christian culture. My own personal experience is good enough to convince me of what I need to believe. So why wouldn't it be good for someone else? How could they deny the truth that I have experienced? And of course, we don't want to invade. We don't want to question somebody's experience. After all, that's what they have gone through. And that has an elevation, has an elevation of absolute authority in their life. Oh, the dangers of this aspect. I always like to tell my students, your personal experience And this usually gets a real funny register on their face. Your personal experience authenticates nothing. Authenticates nothing. Well... I start questioning as the culture does, putting authority in personal experience, you can find non-Christians who will not also put complete absolute truth in terms of the context of personal experience. So we can turn to something else. Maybe something else can provide all the answers to the questions that are very difficult in life. Maybe I can appeal to human reason. All humans want to be rational, right? So if I just appeal to what seems to be rational, to what can be agreed upon in terms of reason, then we can reach a reasonable solution to all the tough questions that we may have in life. I've always been amazed in terms of a discipline, in terms of my own studies, the discipline of philosophy, one of the areas of expertise you're supposed to have in philosophy and that you have to take in terms of courses of philosophy is the courses on logic. That's a basis. That's an introduction. That's a 100-level course in college institutions (laughs) in terms of philosophy, logic. And I'm always amazed. They take 
All the philosophers in the world take logic. They compare everybody's arguments. Then why aren't we all agreeing? <laughs> why aren't we all agreeing with each other? We have all the principles of logic. We've gone through that. Why isn't every argument come down to a simple aspect of logic? Of course, everybody in this room knows what they're missing, right? It's called sin. And the effects upon the faculty of the mind. Congregation, we have a problem, don't we? Because all the suggestions that I have just made, the traditions of men, the pronouncements by people in authority, the appeal to personal experience, as well as an appeal to human reason, human wisdom, all of that is finite and relative, finite and relative. That's what you're seeing. That's the definition of postmodernism. Everybody's truth is a truth unto themselves. All truth is relative. It's only truth in terms of the subject. So when we appeal to reason, when we appeal all to all of this in terms of the finite wisdom of the world, it's an appeal to shared ignorance. Shared ignorance. O Church of Christ, are you willing to surrender to shared ignorance? Are you willing to trust shared ignorance? Are you willing to put your utter absolute confidence in the counsels of men? Do you not hear the word of the Lord to you this day? Where were you when the Lord laid the foundations of the earth? Job 38 verse 4. Where were you? You may have heard this before, but I want to drill this into your mind. Darwinian evolution is mythology. Is mythology. They accuse all Christianity as blooming, bringing up 
a worldview in the ancient world, in an ancient world that is all mythology. Therefore, Christ can't do miracles because we now trust science. Science gives us the factual world of experience, the empirical world of reason. But the truth is, that's they, that is Satan's deception. The truth is that modern evolution is mythology. They're the ones living in myth. And if you want some time, I'll give you a two-hour lecture on approving that. <laughs> From Rousseau to Darwin, I can make the connection. Have you commanded? We ask the Lord. The Lord says to us, says to you, have you commanded the morning to begin? At 12.01 last night, did you say, I just created a new day? Do you separate? Did you separate the light in the darkness? Job 38, 19. Can you (laughs) cause the rain to fall by your own voice? Can you speak and say the rain comes down? 38, 34 of Job. Do you not see? We need the instruction that transcends human ignorance. You need wisdom and assistance from one that is higher than shared ignorance. You need the instruction, direction, and assistance from the wisdom of God himself, the one who knows all things, understands all things, has created all things, and he's the one who in his word confronts all, all the tough questions. Now, where do you go to receive such an infallible, such a supernatural instruction and wisdom? Is not the answer to that question obvious? As B.B. Warfield said, what the Bible says, God says. I love that little phrase. I've shared with you before Cornelius Van Til's comment. Christ has written us a letter. A letter. That letter is the Holy Scripture. 
It's very personal. By means of the Holy Spirit, Christ's letter focuses upon the message of salvation to each of us and to the entire human race, bringing reconciliation, a message of reconciliation between the creator and the creature, all through the Lord Jesus Christ who is the center, is the center of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Don't take Jesus out of the Bible. Don't remove him. See him in every text in terms of that message as we spoke about in our first message concerning the instruction of Timothy from Eunice and Lois. And that letter from Genesis to Revelation is imminently pastoral. It is not just a high doctrine of Scripture that Paul relays, teaches to Timothy, but it is the fact that the scriptures are so pastoral in nature. That means that their very nature of scripture addresses all the tough questions in life that you may have. That you may have. Oh, congregation, our hearts ring out this morning, do they not? You're content, are you not? You are satisfied, are you not? Because the Bible says so, that is sufficient for each of us. Yes, yes it is. Congregation, flee, flee, flee from, flee from placing any of your confidence in the counsels of men. Will you not say this morning, Will you not confess this morning? Will you not say with your whole heart this morning? Let me pause. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Will you enter into this confession this morning? A confession with Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. A total, a confession that appears in, those, in that prophetic literature of those three books. One hundred and thirty-four times. 
write it down, 134 times. Will you not confess this morning in your own heart this phrase? Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. O congregation, let that rule in our hearts. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful for thy word. How easy it is to be misled. To listen and put absolute authority in experience. In our own human reason. When it is so, so finite. Oh, Lord, will we not bow to the one who truly knows all things and has given to us the revelation of thy word, not only in terms of the salvation of a person come down to earth in Jesus Christ, but also the message that his spirit has given to us as his church. Help us, O spirit of the living Christ, to live out of thy word. In Christ's name, amen.